midst of a series called Who We Are. Everybody say, Who We Are. Who are we? Who are we? Well, that's what we're trying to dialogue about over the last several weeks, sort of dialoguing on our core heart and our fluencies, who it is that we are, who it is really that we're longing to be. Last week, we talked about the three chairs how our longing, our desire is not to be second chair storytellers or third chair forgetters, but to be first chair disciples. If you missed the message, please, 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 please catch up. You can watch it on our YouTube or our podcast, search Greenhouse South Florida. It was like my heart on a platter. I was so sweaty by the end, nobody wanted to touch me. That's how you know you really got into it, all right? So please check that out. You're like, that is TMI. It is indeed. This week, I I feel like that's helpful, that's clear. Okay, we want to be first chair disciples. Amen, that sounds great. What does that mean? Fair question. It is the subject matter for this morning. Please stand to your feet with me as we get ready to read and honor God's word. Miami Heat fans, where you at? Come on. We're all hoping that Jimmy Butler comes back strong and supernatural healing provision for Tyler Hero's hand. Can I get an amen? That's where it helps to be Pentecostal. Come on, somebody. Florida Panthers fans, see how it goes. We'll see how it goes. I still believe, Jack. I still believe. For me, you, and Mason, the only Florida Panthers fans at all, we still believe, all right? There it is. Uh, We're going to hinge our conversation. I really want to dialogue on one question. What is a disciple? Turn to your neighbor. Why don't you just ask him right now? Say, what is a disciple? What is a disciple? We're going to focus our time on this one word, disciple. If you have a Bible, turn to Matthew 28, and if you're ready, say, preach, preacher. All right, I will. This is a great commission. This is what we hinge most of our landing point as a church on. Jesus came to them and said, all authority. How much authority? All right. You probably listened to the person that has all authority. He said, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. This is Jesus speaking. He says, therefore, go and do what? Make disciples of all the nations, because that's always God's intention for his family, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always. Thank you, God. Amen. Surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Would you join me as we pray? Jesus, help us out We want to be and we want to make disciples. Amen? Amen. Turn your neighbor, give him a high five. You can find your seat. Tell him, get ready. Get ready. I'm wondering if you, like myself, have ever had this experience where you got the right, the thing was the right name, but it was the wrong thing. It had the right name, but it wasn't the right thing. It was the wrong thing. I remember we hired several years ago for one of our big bring weekends. We do this family fun day to kick off the summer. We're doing it this year, the first Sunday in June. It's a perfect time to bring families in your neighborhood, to bring a friend, to bring a coworker. And we had this big bring weekend. It was a special time for families. And so we hired a balloon artist. Now, I don't know about you, but when I think balloon artist, I think they will have artistry with balloons. Is that fair? Fair, right? So we hired a balloon artist and they came, they were from some company and they came and, and, and service was great and afterwards was fun and we had food and we were hanging out and there was face painting. And, but I continued to see an interesting reality continually with the balloons. Namely, they all looked the same. Like big, long, untwisted balloons. 
I figured the balloon artist did not show up. And so I finally asked one of the kids, hey, what do you have there? And they turned around and showed me. And sure enough, it had a little face on it that was sharpied in. They said, oh, I have a worm. (laughs) I kid you not. Gets worse. I was like, wow, okay. Found another kid. They had similar long, untwisted balloon. I said, hey, what do you have? They said, oh, I have a snake. At this point, I was like, how much did we pay for this? I saw another kid, similarly untwisted, elongated balloon. I was like, hey, buddy, what do you have? They said, I have a sword. And I was like, I don't know what the balloon artist has. No more job. That's what they got. And I was like, this is, and I'm thinking to myself, by the way, we have found an incredible balloon artist since then in another company that actually has artistry. But I remember being so frustrated and I was like, listen, you can't call yourself a balloon artist and use a Sharpie pen. That doesn't work. Either you change your life and your skills or you change your name. And I wonder how the watching world thinks about so-called Christians. Why don't Christians look more like Jesus? We all know the stats. Let's be a little bit more honest. We've been a part of them. People Google Jesus, they love Jesus. What are the words of Jesus? What are the thoughts of Jesus? What are the ways? Oh man, I love Jesus. What do you think about Christians? Oh, where do you want me to start? And I wonder... If the watching world is having this dilemma where they're looking out at self-professing Christians in our world saying, listen, I don't know what to tell you. Either change your skills, change your life, or change your name. Do you feel that like I feel that? Man, it's frustrating. And it's even worse when we are the points of frustration. People are like, oh man, nobody wants anything to do with Jesus. That's actually not what the research states. Oftentimes, we're the problem. We find ourselves in the midst of this very real dilemma where we have a very real problem on our hands. On one side of the equation, we have a watching world that is both confused and nauseated by Christians who look nothing like Christ. And then on the other hand, we have very great, well-intentioned, well-meaning people who find themselves feeling like they got spiritually bait and switched by this boring, dead, dry religion called Christianity. And everybody's frustrated and nobody's happy. What's up with that? Why is that the case? You ever wondered that? You ever thought that to yourself? The good news is there's a reason But to understand the reason, we have to go all the way back to the very beginning. Are you guys down for that? I was going to do it anyways, but I'm glad Justin is excited about it. Hopefully the rest of y'all by the end are excited we did it too. Three stopping points to think about why don't Christians, us sometimes, look more like Jesus. First one is start with why. Point number one is this, why disciples? Why disciples? Go back to the text. Jesus said, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make. This is important. Jesus didn't say, therefore, go and make believers, did he? Jesus didn't say, therefore, go and make converts. He didn't say any of that. He said, therefore, go and make disciples. 
Why disciples? Why is it that we're after disciples? Why do we exist to help ordinary people become passionate followers of Jesus? Translation, disciples. Why is that the whole hinging point of the conversation? Why disciples? Here it is, shortest point in preaching history, because Jesus said so. Point number one is done. Let's move on. You're like, great, that sounds awesome. Let's do it. That's literally my point. Why disciples? Because Jesus said so. He's the best. He has all authority. Who's going to argue with him? I'm not. You could. I'm not. Why disciples? Because Jesus said so. Great, that's awesome. We're done. Wait, what's a disciple? Ah, well, that's point number two. What is a disciple? By the way, this is where I think the fundamental breakdown happens between Christians who often, so often look nothing like Christ. This key defining statement and methodology of approach to spiritual things. What is a disciple? Point number two. Listen to our heart here in one of our, this is actually from our vision statement. We see churches of real disciples, not part-time believers. People that love God as father, follow him as rabbi, and honor him as king. Let me talk to you for a second about Jesus as rabbi, because this changes the nature of the conversation. Some of you might be shocked by this, but Jesus was Jewish. Do you guys know that? Like, it's kind of empirically factual. God, in his sovereignty, chose to send his one and only son in a specific cultural framework, in a specific time period, catch this, for a specific reason. Now, often we know in history that Jesus had students. How many of you have ever been a student? How many of you are still students right now? Okay, we get students, right? And so often in our English translation of the Bible, thank you there, you're very emphatically, Michael, about being a student. You're like, oh, Lord, help. All right, we, we all understand students. In fact, often in the English translations, we will see these followers of Jesus translated as students, but the students back then were very different from the students we have in mind right now in their overall approach and overarching goal for being a student. Everybody say Talmudim. Talmudim. This is the Hebrew word for student. It would be more aptly translated disciples. Now, let me break down the difference because if we approach Jesus wanting to be a student in the way that we think about students, we will end up in a very different place than what Jesus intended, which is one of the reasons I think well-intentioned people end up looking nothing like Jesus that they actually really do like because the end game is different. Here, let me ask you a question to frame this. How many of you have been a student? Show of hands one more time. How many of you, when you walked into class each day, were like, man, I have been thinking all day how I can talk just like my teacher. All right, a few of you. How many were like, man, I've been thinking all day. I wanna live my life just like my teacher. How many of you were thinking to yourself, man, I've been thinking, because we don't do that, right? We're in, let's, let's be honest, as a student, our approach and end game to being a student is we want to find out, is this going to be on the boom shaka? Students are not primarily concerned with any sort of life transformation. Students are focused almost entirely on intellectual information. That's what it means to be a student. Now, now track with me. If you follow Jesus, and this is largely Western thinking versus Eastern thinking. If you're like, what, what exactly are we talking about? Jesus came as a teacher, as a rabbi. In the Eastern world, they often understand the call of Jesus much better than Western people simply because of cultural realities. We have to break things down, right? So in the Western world, which is what we live in, we approach studentism, 
not a word. We approach it like, what info can I get and can I intellectually assent to agreement? So if, G- so if we say, Jesus is the only way, the truth and the life, how many of you would say amen to that? I agree with that. Jesus is the, the only way to the Father. I agree with that. Jesus said we don't have to be worried about anything. I agree with that. Jesus said if you don't forsake everything, you can't be my disciple. I agree with that. And then Jesus asked you to give something up. And you're like, well, I mean, uh, I, don't, I don't know. Do you see the dilemma? Our approach is intellectual. I agree with that. There's lots of things. I agree that the Miami Dolphins football team could be a phenomenal team this season. Theoretically, right? Are they actually gonna be? Am I gonna go to every one of their games? No, because I'm not a masochist and I don't wanna be torturing myself with the heartbreak that will invariably happen. We believe things in theory, but it doesn't mean we're gonna actually do something with it in our real life. That's what it means to be a student. Students in our Western worldview primarily see the teacher as a means to an end. The teacher is who will give me the information, and once I have the information, I no longer need the teacher. Is it beginning to make sense now? All right, now let's go on this side. I'm going to use the stage here. This is the Eastern mindset, where the student is primarily thinking, what does the teacher know? The disciple, the Talmudim, are primarily thinking, I want to be who the rabbi is. If the primary goal of a student is information, the primary goal of a disciple is transformation. The disciple is thinking, man, I just, this rabbi, they're not just a means to an end, they are the end to get me to the ultimate end, loving God more passionately. I I want, when when a disciple gets called by a teacher or a rabbi, which by the way is the context that Jesus called disciples then and now, a disciple, a Talmudim is thinking, I want to, I want to think like my rabbi. I want to talk like my rabbi. I want to interact like my rabbi. I want to love like my rabbi. I want to live like my rabbi. I want to pray like my rabbi. I don't just want the information in their head. I want my heart to be their heart. I want to live my life as if my rabbi was living through my very body. I know it sounds like alien stuff, but that's the end game and the approach. You're like, I want to live in such a way where I could be It could be a case of mistaken identity, like Dwight Schrute on The Office. Who exactly is that? You're like, is it Jesus? Is it you? I can't tell. You're acting the same. Some of you are office fans. I see you smicker. Others of you are like, what are you talking about? Don't worry about it. You missed it. Here's a quote from the dust of the rabbi, Ray Vanderland. It's a great resource. He said, the goal of a disciple is to walk so closely with their rabbi that they would be covered in the dust of the rabbi's footsteps. It's such a passionate, intentional pursuit of the rabbi, in this case, Rabbi Jesus, that you would be literally covered in his footsteps. This is a challenge. Disciples are not called to be squeaky, clean, religious people. Our vision is we want to help ordinary people. They got all sorts of mess and all sorts of issues, but we are deliberately set on following Jesus. Disciples are not squeaky, clean, religious people. Friends, disciples are dusty, walking actively and intentionally following Jesus. Are you guys tracking with me here? Do you see the difference in delineation from the very outset? If we're just trying to be students, like we've learned in our Western pedagogy, all we're primarily thinking about is, do I know the right answers? 
which mean little to nothing in actuality if your goal is not like a disciple who says, can I live the things he said? The fundamental approach is different. Disciples are real people who are learning through trial and error, who are actively following Jesus, who are learning through imitation. Here's the vision. We've talked about this before. We're not the cool church. We're not the clean church. We're not the trendy church. We're not the relevant church. Here's the vision. We are the dusty church. We follow Jesus so close that people are like, man, you remind me of somebody that I met one time. Wait a second. You remind me of Jesus. The greatest compliment any human being could ever be given. Here's a question on the floor at the very beginning. Are you a disciple? Are you an active, passionate follower of Jesus? Or are you just a fan? Are you just a student giving intellectual assent like on a spiritual scantron to things that don't really actively mean anything in your real lived life? Do you stay far enough to keep the dust off your clothing or are you walking in the dust of Rabbi Jesus, mess and all? I can't answer that for you. I mean, I could a little bit. Jesus said, you'll know a tree by its fruit. You're right, all right, Pastor John. So the goal of our church is to make disciples and the goal of a disciple is not just to know what the rabbi knows, but to be like the rabbi. So what is a disciple? I get the mindset, I get the approach. If you remember from earlier in the series, we broke down this idea of discipleship. A disciple is someone who lives in the green. Any of you remember that? Okay, great. All three of y'all that are tracking with me. This is awesome. This makes me feel great, guys. Okay, just check out this video because now I'm depressed. Go make disciples. You realize that's the parting command by Jesus Christ to his apostles right before they're about to turn the world upside down. And yet for thousands of years all over the planet, Christians and churches have struggled to figure out how in the world to put that command into practice. Why aren't we better at this? That's a question that has plagued my soul for years. So what is a disciple and what does it mean to even make disciples? And if I actually figure that out, how in the world do I find time with my life to actually go and pull this off? I'm convinced it's not as complicated as we've made it out to be, but one thing is for sure. If you want to make disciples, you're going to have to be a disciple. And disciples are people who follow Jesus. They love. They love God passionately, radically, holistically, and they love people with all of their lives. So let me break it down a little further. Let's start with this first command and the most important aspect of this, which is God. It all starts with being a worshiper, a God seeker. The first commandment actually is the first priority. Love the Lord your God. And it starts with a radical love for Him where we seek Him and we live out a lifestyle of worship. That's not just Sundays or the weekends. That's all week long. Let's make this the yellow arrow. But a true disciple doesn't stop here. Once we've connected with God, we can't help to get His heart. And God loves people. I mean, he loves them passionately. That's why once you get God's heart for this world, you start to look at the poor and the broken and the lost and the least, the destitute, the alone, and you look at them with new eyes. Out of our love for God stems an unavoidable passion for God's mission to go reach others. Disciples reach out to love and to serve, to touch the untouched, to reach the unreached. 
to minister to those that are broken and oppressed. But we can't stop there either. Because once you've connected with God and once you've gotten on mission, you can't help but begin to live in community. It's really wild. People all over the world try to find community somewhere, but community isn't something you find by looking for it. It's the result of looking for God and experiencing mission with other people. Just like soldiers down in the trenches, when you've been living like this, you can't help but to draw close to other people. That's what the church is, and that's what disciples are. They're people that are not just talking about it, but they're living it. They're living in the green. Worship, mission, and community. Now, why don't you go be a disciple, and why don't you go make disciples? about it. I'm not sad anymore. Can you throw that graphic up there again one more time? So living in the green. So here's a simple operating definition. By the way, it's the reason we're called the Greenhouse Church. We want to live in the green. Disciples are not just about worship, although that's an important component of discipleship. They're not just about community, being with other believers who are encouraging you and appropriately loving you and challenging you and supporting you. They're not just about worship. They're not just about community. They're not just about mission, being actively and intentionally engaged in the lostness and the brokenness of our world. Disciples sit in the intersection of all three, worship, mission, and community, disciples live in the green, which by the way is a helpful framework if you ever feel like something's just off spiritually. Anybody ever felt like that before? You're like, I can't, I can't put my finger on it. Something just feels off. I personally, and we as microchurch leaders and within, we run, I run my life through this framework. Well, how's worship going? Man, well, that's been good. I feel like I've been spending great time with God. I feel really connected. Okay, what about community? No, man, my microchurch, man, Nancy and I love our microchurch. We feel like we're really in good relationship. Well, what about mission? What about mission? When's the last time I... I did something for or with the poor. When's the last time I shared the good news of the gospel with somebody? When's the last time I stepped out of my comfort zone for the sake of the glory of God? Ooh, it's been a minute. That's why it feels off. Because you were created to be in the intersection of all three. Are you guys tracking with me here? Worship, mission, and communities, where disciples are. When we see the church vibrant and alive in Acts chapter two, we use this passage all the time. They were devoted to God's word and the apostles' doctrine and prayer. They were devoted to life-giving community and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Worship, mission, and community. We just straight up plagiarized from the Bible, all right? We didn't create anything new. It's just Bible stuff here. This is a disciple. Disciples are those who are actively living and progressing by the grace of God in worship, mission, and community, and they are reproducing this with intentionality in other people. Here's why I say that. Jesus did not say in the Great Commission, all right, now go and be disciples. He didn't say that. What did he say? Make. Go and make disciples. Now, obviously, you cannot make who you are not. You can't make what you're not. There we go. You teach what you know. You reproduce who you are. You must be a disciple in order of Jesus in order to make disciples of Jesus. But the call is not simply to be. The call is to make disciples multiply. Point number one, why disciples? Because Jesus says so. What is a disciple? A disciple is someone that is actively living in worship, mission, and community, living in the green and reproducing that in other people. Which brings us to point number three. If you remember from my sermon last week, we were talking about the three chairs and sort of ended on this passionate diatribe of, man, I want us to be first chair people who are reproducing for any parents out there. Like we, we don't just want religious Pharisee church kids, right? We, we want disciples. We want our kids to love God and love people and wield their faith in a way that's winsome and kind and compassionate and not jerkish and religious and off-putting, right? So how do we do that? Well, it starts with being a disciple 
who wields your faith in a way that's not jerkish and off-putting and kind and compassionate and loving, but then you actually have to reproduce that in others. This is the call of Jesus, point number three. How do we make disciples? Turn to your neighbor and say, that's a good question. It's a good question. How do we actually, most of you are here, this is why I love being a part of this church family. Most of you are here because you actually care about this question. You're like, that's why I'm here. Like, I'm not here because I love Western High School Auditorium. I'm not here because I like, I'm here because I love the vision. I love missions and the poor and I wanna be and I wanna make disciples. So how do we do it? Jesus actually broke it down in two prerogatives, two imperatives. Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and do what? Make disciples, and then he breaks it down. Two little tributaries here. He says, you're gonna baptize people in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and then you're gonna teach people to obey everything I've commanded you. And by the way, in case you're freaking out, if I'm gonna be with you, I got you, I'm gonna be with you the whole time, don't worry about it. We make disciples according to Jesus by baptizing people and teaching people to obey. These two components are Important and imperative according to Jesus. We make disciples by baptizing people and teaching them to obey. Now, this is interesting because when we often think of baptizing people in Christendom in North America, we call it something different. You guys know what we call it in Christendom? We call it evangelism. Jesus just called it part of discipleship. If we choose to abide by, now, now if, we're, if we're being aware of our current context, Oftentimes, faith communities that really champion discipleship mean this. We are super deep with one another. We're super deep with God. We don't really care about the rest of the people. And every now and then, maybe accidentally, someone comes to the Lord. But man, we're deep. We're all about discipleship. That's fine if you want to use your definition, but you're not using Jesus's. Jesus said making disciples means you're baptizing people and then you're teaching them to obey. If we want to use Jesus's definition, it means if you're never making new disciples, you're not making real disciples. That's what he said, right? He said, go and make disciples. You gotta baptize them. All the evangelists are like, come on, preach it. And then you gotta teach them to obey. The shepherds and teachers are like, exactly. And Jesus is like, yeah, it's gonna take all of y'all to do it. He's so smart. He said, go and make disciples, baptizing them. It's not just Christian improvement. He didn't say go and ice some cakes that already exist. He said go bake some new ones. Go make disciples. It's not just Christian improvement. It is supposed to be making, baptizing. If, if you answer this question, are you a disciple? Here's, a net, here's another great follow-up question. Have you been baptized? If the answer is no, we can handle that today. We could get the tank out today. We could go down to the beach today. You could find a swimming pool in your microchurch today. We could baptize you in the canal, but I don't think that's a good idea because there's alligators out there and it's crazy and it's flooded. So we'll use the tank and we can do it today. All right, this is a question. Yeah, amen. Angel's pumped. I'm pumped. Jesus said, go and make disciples, baptizing them. And then, and then the other component, important, non-negotiable, teaching them to obey Jesus. Listen to our heart here. We see churches of real disciples, not part-time believers, people that love God as father, follow him as rabbi, and honor him as king, people that give themselves for one another and the cause of the lost and the least. One of the reasons being a part of this church community is an absolute joy for Nancy and I is because you guys live this. Like when I think of people who give themselves for one another and the cause of the lost and the least, I think of my friend Jack. 
Jack is a part of our microchurch. Many of you who know Jack, he helps with the setup and teardown team. And, and Jack has radically encountered Jesus. And, and he runs a small business. He runs a family business. And then any of you that are business owners, business leaders, you know, life gets crazy and things are wild. And there's every excuse imaginable to be like, man, I, I just got to press pause on this. I got to make sure I handle everything else. Spiritual life and other people's spiritual lives can wait. I got to put out fires. But Jack is just in my, he's just there every single week in and week out, come floodwaters, Jack will find a boat, come accidents, he's going to levitate and teleport there. Like he's going to figure out a way to get to microchurch and he's going to show up and he's going to bring snacks and he's going to be engaged and he's got every possible excuse in the world not to do it and yet he always does it. And I'm like, Jack, why? And he's like, John, Jesus changed my life. Like almost incredulous. He's like, John, Jesus rescued me. How could I not give the rest of my life to seeing him do that through me and somebody else? He's like, I mean, I like you guys, but like, I love Jesus. Amen. Yes, actually. That makes sense, especially in light of eternity. Disciples give themselves. They're not just thinking about themselves. Remember, they're not just thinking about the information. They're not just saying, oh, I love that idea. They're like, well, Jesus said, the son of man came to seek and save those who are lost, hurting, broken. And because I'm a disciple who wants to not just believe like my teacher, but live like my teacher, that means that I, I need to do that too. That means that, that that's part of my call because it was his call and I'm his disciple and I'm following in his footsteps. I want to be covered in his dust. That's my call. Disciples reorient their lives around Jesus's call to make more disciples. We follow Jesus and we do that in community with one another because life is hard and you won't make it as a lone ranger very long. Amen. And we support one another and, and we're in these communities both so we can be encouraged and so we can be a source of encouragement to other people because that's what it means to live like Jesus. This week I, I felt like, you know, when Paul writes in the epistles and he's like, I, I thank God every time I think of you in prayer. And he's always like just seem gushing about how much he loves these leaders God has placed around him. I felt like that this week about our microchurch leaders preaching this sermon. It was beautiful. I spent a good chunk of my sermon prep time thinking about the leaders in our church family thanking God for them. I was like, this is awesome. Man, I love you guys. I started thinking of Andrew Wilson. Yeah, got a job in accounting. His industry goes from a full-time load to like, are you a cyborg? How are you ever gonna get that much work done? Do you still sleep? Like, it's crazy. And yet Andrew Wilson's like, John, I'm gonna make disciples with my life because this is the only shot I got. And he gives himself to the Lord and he's amazing. And my mom's working like a yenta trying to find him a wife. Like she is on it. I'm like, if Jamie Lash gets on anything, it's gonna happen. So Andrew, get ready. But like, he's just incredible. I think of Brian Faye. Nate Coker, they run this men's business microchurch on Friday. Brian runs a whole construction company and they've got all these different branches of what they do. And if anybody can have an excuse to say, man, John, I'm just too busy to make disciples, it would be Brian and Nate. And they don't, they're like, we're Friday morning, we can do Friday mornings at 6 a.m. So that's what they do. Because Jesus has changed their life. And because they're disciples, they're like, we're gonna take whatever margin we have, big or small, and leverage it for God's kingdom and people's good to make disciples. I think about some of our young professional microchurches. I think about Cece and Alejandro and Michael and Megan and yeah, you can cheer for them. Yeah, that's all right. 
And I just think about, I think of them in juxtaposition with so many of their peers who are, who are just thinking, man, I'm just gonna live my best life. I'm just gonna do whatever, whatever I wanna do, whatever makes me happy. And they've decided, you know what actually makes me happy? Loving Jesus and obeying him. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna find my own best life. I'm gonna find my own path and it's Jesus's path because I'm his disciple. And I'm gonna give myself for others because I know I'm never more full than when I'm pouring myself out and giving myself away. And I'm watching them set themselves up for a life that's gonna be exponentially further down the road than any of their peers because Jesus is smart. And his path is the best path. Like, I, I am honored to run with y'all. It's a joy. It's a privilege. Because you guys mean it. Like, we, we are imperfect. We are a mess. If you're looking for the best church, man, you have not found it. We've got all sorts of issues. There's tons of better churches here in South Florida. And, and if this was a perfect church, you'd come in and mess it up, you know? So that's how it goes. And welcome to Greenhouse. We're all a bunch of imperfect people. But like, you guys mean it. So do I. You heard me up here blubbering last week. I, I, I love Jesus. I want to follow him with the rest of my life for the rest of my life. So why don't more Christians look like Jesus? Why don't more Christians look like our Christ? Because it's hard. It's extremely difficult. If all you have to do is have the right ideas, that is relatively simple. Just get on YouTube and eventually you'll figure stuff out. Well, YouTube might make a mess of it as well, but you know what I'm saying. But if the goal is to live like Jesus, to be like Jesus, it only starts if that's your approach, number one. You don't haphazardly wander into, you know, I just started saying, I just want to know some good Christian theory. And I ended up like, man, I want to be a passionate follower of Jesus that looks like him, talks like him, lives like him, prays like him. Like, you don't wander into that territory. You are drawn by love. You can't help but move towards that territory when he captures your heart. But you can't do it alone either. Like, it takes people, we're human beings. It takes people that when you hit a low moment, not if, because we're not cyborgs, when you hit a low moment, someone's there to wrap their arm around you and be like, hey, bro, I got you. Come on. We're going to be all right. We're going to do this. Don't give up. And you're like, oh, thank you. I needed that. And they're like, I know. I saw. I got you. I got you. Following Jesus, it's, it, it's, it's impossible on our own. It is possible with his grace. It is possible with community. It is extremely difficult at times. It's inconvenient. But listen to me. It is so worth it. Am I right? So worth it. Following Jesus is not just the only way to die, which is what he said. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus said no one comes to the Father but through me. But he's not just the only way to die. Following Jesus, it is the best way to live. Not the easiest, but the best. It's the only way I want to live. And by the way, it's the only thing that Jesus actually called people to do. Jesus was not calling in the framework of the rabbi, Jesus was not calling second chair storytelling intellectual assenters. And he was not calling third chair. I heard about it from my grandma. So I guess I'll come along as long as you give free food because I heard you do that, Jesus. He did. Jesus is only calling what he's only ever called first chair disciples. This is who we are. 
This is who we long to be. We follow Jesus. Why don't you say it with me if it's true? We follow Jesus. When life gets hard and you don't know what to do, we follow Jesus. When you don't know where the funds are gonna come from and you don't know what's gonna happen, we follow Jesus. When the female or male comes around and looks around and like, hey, you're like, no devil. We follow Jesus. Amen. That was not in my notes. You could probably tell. We long to be real deal disciples, not part-time believers. People that love the Lord with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Not perfect. Still a mess. Totally works in progress. Have you met your pastor? But passionate and by his grace progressing for the rest of our lives until we meet him face to face. Here's a call this week. This week, I am praying in my heart in Guyana, online, here in the room. I am praying that you would commit and say, I want to become a disciple. That we would make a commitment to say, okay, I get the difference. The vision is not just, do you know the answers? The vision is, do you want to go with Jesus wherever he leads? Many people are disciples. They don't know the answers, but they're following the king. Other people know all the answers, but they're not disciples because they don't care that we would become disciples, that we would start learning to truly follow Jesus. By the way, if you don't know how or you're not entirely sure what that would look like, get into a community that's trying to do the same thing. We are creatures of imitation. This is where verses like, follow me as I follow Christ give us so much hope. We're like, okay, great. I don't really know what to do. Like on Sunday mornings, this is important because we are able to unpack together the truths of God that reorient our minds and mindsets to how God wants us to live, flourish, and thrive. But you actually need a smaller community, a micro community, a micro church maybe if we ever use that term to be able to teach you what those things actually look like in real life bless those who persecute you bless and do not curse amen pastor and then you sit down in micro church and someone's like hey one of my coworkers just went to the boss and lied about something that i did not do Ooh, now it gets juicy now you're like oh i actually get to see what that looks like in real life you just went from Christian theory to discipleship. Discipleship is not simply taught, it is caught. We'd love to invite you into a community, we call them microchurches, where you can see what it looks like to live the Jesus life imperfectly, beautifully by his grace, but genuinely on the journey. Learn to start following Jesus. You don't just need good theology. You need to see good theology and action. Maybe you're here and Jesus has captured your heart and you're like, Pastor John, I mean it. I wanna follow him. I wanna live like him, talk like him, speak like him, interact like him. I'm on the journey. If you have not been baptized, that's your next step. All throughout the scriptures in the early church, the call was repent, change your mind, decide to follow Jesus and then be baptized. We'd love to, to explain, answer questions and help get you set up to be baptized as soon as today. Commit to learning, commit to the process, commit to the journey, commit to the adventure. Commit to becoming a disciple. And point number two, commit to making disciples. I wanna make this very tangible and practical because I know there's a lot in this room online in Guyana who really mean it. Here's what this could look like very practically. Be a regular at microchurch every single week. Set your goal with every single week. If you set your goal at every single week, you'll be there most times. If you set your goal at, oh, I'll go there once a month, you'll be there once every six. 
Set your goal. Say, man, I, I am going to be a, I'm going to be not just a passive attender in my microchurch, in this smaller community of faith where I can encourage and, and help people walk in their faith journey to become a disciple. I am going to be an active participant. I'm going to go every single week. You won't get there every single week, but you'll get close. I'm going to go every single week. And, and when I show up, I'm showing up. I'm coming with an encouragement for somebody. I'm coming with a Bible verse. I'm coming with a thought. If I'm in a pit, I'm coming with vulnerability. I'm gonna be honest so other people around can be like, oh, we could do that here? Thank God, I'm gonna pit too. And everybody, vulnerability begets vulnerability. Don't just be passive. Show up. Come ready to encourage. When you see someone missing, don't say, oh, that stinks. Follow up with them, go after them. Motivated by the love of God. Ask your microchurch leader this week, ask your microchurch leader, hey, I wanna be a disciple, I wanna make disciples. Do you need any help? Microchurch leaders, what's the answer to that always? Yes, emphatically. Heaven, yes. We always need help. You will be a blessing sent from heaven if you go to your microchurch leader and say, hey, I want to be in on this. Do you need any help? We always need help. And we'd love to do it with you. We'd love to say to you, follow me as I follow Christ. I'm trying to figure it out and follow Jesus and make disciples. Join me in it. You're active in a microchurch already? Pray about starting a core group taking a few guys, a few ladies from your microchurch and saying, hey, we're gonna go through a, a book study, a Bible study. We're gonna go through some, some, some curriculum that's biblical and we're gonna encourage one another and sharpen one another. Maybe it's time to start thinking about going through discipleship training. We just had a group graduate. I think we have a picture up here on the screen. Shout out to the DT graduates. It's there. Hey, wild applause. They just graduated through discipleship training, figuring out specific tools in their tool belt of what it looks like to make disciples. We're running a discipleship training this summer over Zoom. So Nova students, if you're back at home, you can still jump in and join in on that. Start praying about going through discipleship training with us. Oh, you can take the picture down. Everyone's distracted now. I'm like, why is no one paying attention? Oh, the picture. Start a weekly Bible study time with your kids where you're like, we're gonna unpack the scriptures once a week. We're gonna sit down at the table and have a meal and once a week, we're gonna talk about God. You're like, that would be a miracle. He could do it. He could do it. I know. He could do it. I got young kids. Trust me, the struggle's real. Start a Bible study weekly with your roommates. You're like, that would take even more miraculous power. I know. Start a daily Bible study with yourself and watch how it so organically flows out of you because out of that daily time with God, you can't help but gather, guys, you gotta hear what I've been talking, ladies, you gotta hear what God's been speaking to me today. It just kinda comes out organically when you're already there in that space. But life is hard. Life is busy. Life is unbelievably distracting so often and we get off track and we find ourselves so far drifted from where we even intended to be which is why he's our only hope. I remember several years ago now, I, uh, I got to watch a dying man preach his last sermon, and it marked me. His name was Pastor Arnold Lastinger, and when I first went up to Gainesville as a college freshman, he was the pastor. There was this young guy, Mike Patz, who now has been my pastor for the last 17 years, and he got saved at the church as a college student, became the youth pastor, became the associate pastor. Pastor Lastinger was raising him up, and he announced to the church, I was there, I remember it. He said, listen, church, I'm, I'm getting ready. Pastor Mike is ready. I'm handing the baton. This is what the kingdom does, and I'm retiring. And in my mind, I'm like, oh, yeah, South Florida. That's where everyone goes to retire, you know, like seashells. He's like, I'm retiring to the mission field. 
All right, now you got my attention. He's like, man, there's some things going on in Ukraine, and we're trying to raise up local first-generation pastors and believers, and they need training for this seminary Bible college. And so now that I'm done with y'all, I'm going with them. I'm going to be retiring to the mission field. God bless you, church. And he went. And he just, he just and, and I have never, I've seen a lot of very bored retired people. I have never seen someone as on fire loving life in retirement as Pastor Lastinger. He's like, oh, well, there, there was some crazy stuff going on. That bomb went off, you know, some different thing. It was crazy, but man, it's amazing. Amen, glad you like it. And then he got diagnosed with cancer. And he's still going. He's still pouring himself out. He's still in his retirement, pouring himself out for these pastors in Eastern Europe and Ukraine. And then he couldn't do it anymore and he had to come back home and, and the doctors did everything they could and they went through all the treatment plans and they went through all the, all the different things and, and it wasn't working. And, and I remember when he came to Pastor Mike and he said, Pastor Mike, I know my time is short. Can I preach one more sermon? Well, what do you say? The answer is obviously, of course. And he said, John, you know, at this point, we were, we we're down here in South Florida. He said, John, if you'd be willing, so humble. If you'd be willing, you know, if you'd be okay with it, no pressure. But if you'd be willing, I'd love for you to, to stream it and do the video. I don't know how you guys do the technology, but do the video thing. And he said, I said, well, what do you want to preach about? He said, I just want to tell him one thing. It's all worth it. He starts tearing up. He says, John, it's all worth it. Every bit of what I've preached my entire life, every bit of what I gave myself to, retiring to them. He said, every single thing I've done, pouring out my life and my heart for Jesus, it's all worth it. And he got up here, and if you were here, you remember Pastor Arnold Lastinger up here on the screen, pouring his guts out as he is pretty close to his deathbed, telling the church it's all worth it. And friends, when it comes to discipleship, our hope is not that we will be so committed and so dutiful and so passionate that we'll just by our own sheer grit and determination cling to him and stay on course. We will fail if that is our hope. Our hope is that he's so good, he's so amazing, he's so incredible, he's so loving, he's so kind, he's so gracious, that if we can just stay close enough, he'll continue to woo us and win us. And I start thinking this week, I'm like, man, I want to live a pastor lasting life. I think about my own dad sprinting through the finish line, following Jesus all the way until he goes to meet him face to face. I think about my mom on, on track to do the same thing, although she's going to live to 175, I believe, but, you know, but she's still, she's running out and sprinting to the end. I think about pastor lasting and I, I just start thinking, I'm like, man, I hate the thought that when I'm in my 50s and 60s, I look back and say, I remember when I was passionate for Jesus in my 20s. Like, I want to be more in love with Jesus when I'm 60 than I was when I'm 20. And I want to be more passionate about telling people about Jesus in my 70s than I was in my 30s. And I want to get to my 80s, and I'm like, man, I dare you to get around me because all that's going to ooze out of me is love for Jesus. And you just need to get around me because he's so good, and he's so amazing, and he's so kind, and he's so gracious. And I've been following him by his grace for so long that it's changed who I am. What about you? It'll be inconvenient, I can guarantee you that. Challenging? You better believe it. 
hardship, suffering? Yep, you betcha. But it's life. Following Jesus is life. And life more abundantly. Why don't you join me as we pray? Jesus, right now, I'm asking that you would do what I could never in a very personal and individualized way speak to every single heart in this room. Give us by your spirit the gift of divine self-awareness to know where we stand with you. And would you call us deeper? You can keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed just for a moment of quiet and privacy. This is between you and God. If you're here this morning, and you realize that, that you are in that second chair, third chair reality. Maybe you are a, a genuine theological assenter. You're like, I believe all the stuff. But it has not impacted large components of my real life. Here's an invitation. Become a disciple. Talmudine. these type of students that Jesus is actually calling who reorient their lives around Jesus' call to be and to make more disciples. If that's you in the room, I want to give you a moment to respond. There's nothing magical about hand raising. I think it does help for you to know that God's doing something in your heart. If that's you, I just want you to shoot your hand up in the air right now and say, Pastor John, I want to be a disciple. I want to be a disciple. Awesome. I want to be a disciple. Awesome. 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 Hands up all over the room. I love it. Right now, in your chair, in your own words, just tell him that. Jesus, I don't just want to love you in theory. I want to follow you with my whole life. In my real life. Help me. Teach me. Change me. Change my heart. I want to do it from a place of love and devotion because I can't help myself, not just religious duty and zealous observance. I want to love you. Maybe you're here and you're a disciple of Jesus, but you have stopped short of the call. Jesus didn't say go and be disciples. He said go and make them. If you're here this morning, if you're online, if you're watching over in Guyana and you sense the spirit nudging you to a place of obedience, I encourage you to do it with joy. It's the best way to live. Say, Lord, teach me. Help me to get beyond myself, to find myself, my true self in you.